What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Welcome to Forward Thinking. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today we wanted to talk a bit about really energy efficient buildings. Buildings that are so energy efficient that they actually don't, either they do not draw any energy from the power grid at all. Net zero. Net mm-hmm. zero. Or they maybe they draw energy from the power grid, but they also put energy back in, still being net zero. Uh, or they're just very, very low energy, so they draw a little bit from the grid, but not a lot. Or they're even energy positive, which means they just feed energy back into the power grid. And uh, we wanted to talk about what it takes to make a building do that and what it would take to make a really big building do that. Because it's one thing to design a, a residential home that can be uh, uh, net zero energy uh, compliant, right? That's that's one thing. But to design a skyscraper that can do it, that has a, a completely different set of challenges that get much more complex. And so we wanted to kind of talk about this whole uh, idea and why we should even consider it in the first place. 
so really the net zero thing is is pretty self-explanatory. I mean, you could at least imagine one in theory. You could imagine that, let's say that you have a, um, a farmhouse that's uh, on a uh, essentially a plane, mm-hmm. right? And you get lots of sunlight, generally speaking, throughout the year. And you also have some, you know, uh, uh, you have some good winds that go through the area. So maybe with wind turbines and solar panels, and with a very good design of your house, you to might collect be... the sunlight appropriately at different times of the day. Right, and we'll get into all of that in a minute. Uh, th- that sort of stuff might allow you to be self-sufficient. In fact, you could theoretically have a building that's so self-sufficient it doesn't even connect to a power grid. Uh, and it's and, off the grid. Yes, you're off the grid. Uh, uh, granted, you're you're still being tracked because someone's always looking for you. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Well, so we we've heard of houses like this. You know, right. Your house it it has a nuclear reactor inside, or sure, no, no, yeah. it, it has whatever it has. A solar team panels, of hamsters it, running in wheels, yeah, generating electricity. Whatever it is that makes this house self sufficient. But you mentioned bigger buildings. Have yeah. we ever heard of a a truly exist. truly energy self sufficient a net zero high rise like right. a, the large kind of building you'd see in a city? There's um. There's supposedly some. Now, I say supposedly because uh, it's it's difficult to to uh, actually confirm. Well, let us suppose. Tell All us right. About so them. so there's there's a, a building called the Pearl River Tower in Guangzhou, China, and uh, and this tower is uh, 71 stories tall. So I think that oh. that counts no, as yeah, skyscraper. No. It's tall. Right? Pretty Se- tall. 71 stories tall. I don't. Does that count as skyscraper? I believe What's so. The qualification. You would think that it would have to. I mean, that it's well, it's, it's at least a high rise. Yes, right, right, at the very least. At at seventy stories, I think. I think I, I'm I'm willing to call it a skyscraper. Of course, I live in Atlanta, where a seventy story building would be enormous. Uh, in fact, we only have a couple that reach that high. Um, anyway, it's 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 like the the fourth largest or fourth tallest building in Guangzhou, and the some somewhere in the twenties for all of China. Um, it's 2.3 million square feet of space, and it's an office building. So there's no residential in here, as far as I can tell. It's all offices. Uh, and it was it's, – it's supposedly net zero. I say supposedly really? because I don't have – You haven't checked it out personally? Well, yeah. yeah I don't have any way of mm-hmm. specifically going there and seeing it and making sure that, in fact – And the numbers uh, on it, you know, the engineers have, have an interest in making it sound as good as possible, of course. Yes. Well, well we don't want to cast doubts oh, upon them. Oh, no, no, no. But we I'm should, sure they're fine, yes. upstanding citizens. But I, <laughs> but well, they do have an interest. Good, good point, though. <laughs> right, yeah, right. It's... The, the point being that we cannot confirm, right? We, yeah. we can only take in the data that is – Available from the people who built the thing, and and there's no way that you can say that that's unbiased. I mean, by by its very nature, it's biased. It may still be correct, but it is biased. Right. But wait a second here. So a seventy-plus story building sure. that doesn't use any more energy than it makes. How is that possible? All right. Now, assuming that in fact that claim is true. Here's how they did it. First of all, it was it was designed by by two uh, American architects, Gordon Gill and Adrian D. Smith. Uh, actually, I, I'm assuming they are American. I know that they designed it in Chicago. Uh, the the building itself was completed in late 2011, early 2012, and uh, the way that they generate energy is through several different methods. They use something called 
uh, it is passive solar power. <laughs> Actually, they they call it sunlight harvesting. That's how uh-huh. they refer to it in their on their website. Uh, but they also use wind turbines. They have uh, two large sections of the building where uh, it's designed to channel wind through the these sections and wind turbines are in oh, them. Cool. So oh, it's, like, it's like, like a jet engine for your building? Kind sort of, of, yeah. If yeah. you were to look at the building face on, you would see that there were two levels within this building. So it's like the building's in three big sections, right? So you see floors where obviously office space exists. And there's a chunk of floors and then there's this weird level and then there's another chunk of floors and another weird level and then a third chunk of floors. Those two weird levels are actually the wind turbine levels and they're channeling the wind through. So if you the other thing is if you were to look at the building in profile, the 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 outward facing walls would look kind of curved from floor to floor because it's actually channeling the wind through those turbines. Um, they also had photovoltaic cells, also known as solar panels, and uh, they used stuff like a, a raised floor ventilation and radiant heating and cooling ceilings to help control the temperature inside the building to uh, reduce the need for using energy to uh, to run the HVAC system. So that's how this building supposedly operates. It also makes it really... Uh, easy to get all that sunlight because from the pictures I saw, it's the only really tall building in its area. There aren't any other neighboring skyscrapers butting up against this thing. Right, which has mm. to make it immensely easier to, uh, to to A, catch that wind and B, catch the sunlight. Right, so. harvesting right. the sunlight is a lot easier when you don't have another enormous building casting a shadow on you. So uh, that's that's generally how it's done. And of course, that's uh, kind of how all net zero buildings uh, work in some to some extent. There, there's an effort of actual energy production as well as energy conservation that's going on. So, well, let's look at some of those features individually and, okay. and see what they take. And now, I imagine everybody's heard of solar panels and and wind turbines. Uh, probably a lot of people aren't familiar with passive solar. Right. Yes. So, so like a solar panel would be an active solar system because you're actually actively grabbing that solar energy and converting it into electricity. What is passive solar? Passive solar is uh, it's a design issue. It's hard to just add it on to a building the way you might be able to. So take your average skyscraper that sure. already exists. All right. You could stick solar panels all over it if yeah, you want. Yeah, sure, you, sure. You could, that, that's a, uh, a feasible upgrade. The passive solar is a design issue from the ground floor, and it means that essentially the building is constructed in a way to make perfect use of natural sunlight. Um, and a lot of this just comes down to heating and cooling. Right. Uh, the, I looked up the, the U.S. Department of Energy says that uh, the average home's utility bill in America, 54% of that is just heating and cooling. Oh, wow. Heating and cooling is a huge amount of the power we use in our buildings and infrastructure mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because we like to be comfortable, right? Right. Um I, but, I like I like my I like my building cave cold. Right. Well, you know, so we can you know wave our hands at that, but I don't know. I don't know if I could sit in an office sweaty and like get my work and done and still be productive. I, sure. I have. I yeah. don't. I don't recommend it. It's yeah. It's it's difficult. You know. Yeah. So we we like to be comfortable. We keep our buildings at a nice temperature. Um, but this is really really costly if you're sure. constantly pumping in cold air, pumping in hot air, in order to do it. 
passive solar design allows you to do this with natural angles of light from the sun. So what it has to do with is um, how you orient the building, for one thing. The right. building is built in such a way uh, with the passage of the sun in different seasons in mind. So it's built with side-facing windows that are designed to allow sunlight in in the winter to uh, naturally heat all mm -hmm. the rooms and designed so as to block the sun in the summer. And this is because the sun itself passes in a different arc depending upon right. the season because of the tilt of the earth. You know, keeping in mind, of course, we're talking about rotation of the earth and the tilt of yeah. the earth, not the actual passage of the sun. But right. it does. Right. It, Important point. Thanks. It, it does mean, however, that, you know, there are times Look, you probably notice this where there's certain times of the year where at a particular time of day, sunlight just streams in through a window and blinds you and you just you can't get anything done. So you have to move to some other part of the play house or, or close a blind or mm -hmm. something like that. But other parts of the year during that same time of day, everything's fine. You don't have sunlight coming in through that window. Same sort of thing, except you're designing an entire building around that so that in the winter, the sunlight comes in, it hits surfaces that are designed to absorb as much heat as possible and radiate that heat out throughout the day. So that way, on the, in, during the winter months, when it's cooler, the uh, the sunlight's actually warming the interior of your house, and it's staying warm longer than it would if it were made out of some other material. Right. So the material itself has to be uh, good at, at absorbing that energy and then radiating it out over time. Uh, another issue is just simple insulation. Sure. I mean, anybody who, who, if you've owned a home or anything like that, you know that insulation makes a huge difference in your energy costs. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's all the glass panels, uh, the floor-to-ceiling kind of glass panels that we have on our current building, actually, that we're sitting in right now, are gorgeous. But how energy efficient are they? Yeah, right. We and don't know. They probably lose a lot of heat. Mm -hmm. right? You definitely want your building to be weather tight. That's kind of the way that, that it's, it's the industry talks about it. Yeah. And that will uh, allow you to save a lot on your energy bills. So that's uh, a lot of these things we're talking about are things that that at least to some extent existing buildings can do. But you can, like you were saying, Joe, you can't take full advantage of it unless you're planning it from the very beginning. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's harder to rotate a building after you've already set it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't put it up on stilts and uh, sadly, turn the lazy Susan. Sadly, it's not not quite like SimCity where you're just, you know, pick this up and move it over here. Um, yeah. And also the. It's easier to do on a smaller scale than on a large scale, like a like a skyscraper, especially if you're talking about a dense urban population where you've got lots of skyscrapers together. That might mean that you don't get – even if you were to build it from the ground up, you might not get right. full you, sunlight all day long because of the way the other buildings are You might only built. be able to have you know one of these in every you know three or four city blocks or something for them all to be as efficient as possible. Right. Well, you mentioned the uh, the Pearl River Tower. You said it was the only building around. But, right? uh, according to the pictures I've seen, yeah, there are no other skyscrapers that are uh, immediately adjacent to it. Right. So it doesn't – it looks like it gets the full benefit of sunlight from where it is right now. Mm -hmm. So that would automatically kind of cut back on some of the advantages if you couldn't build it close to other buildings. Yeah. Right? Sure, sure. And another challenge that we can think about um, with with net zero or at least low energy skyscrapers or high rises is um, you've got to offset those costs you you do incur, right? So you can use passive uh, solar to control your climate, but you still got to turn on the toaster 
right. and you know run you plug in your laptop and stuff like that where does that energy come right come so from? so you need to have some sort of energy uh, uh creation like you have generator is what you need you need some form of generation to create the electricity you need for the to run the stuff in your mm-hmm. building right. so, so if you, so even if, if you don't have a fusion reactor in your building right you're uh, gonna have yeah, if you if you do have a fusion reactor in your building, <laughs> please let us know because I would love yeah. to see that. But uh, chances are you don't. So how do you generate that electricity? And uh, and really, you're talking one of the other goals. We didn't really mention it, but one of the other goals for a net zero energy building is also to reduce or eliminate uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Which means that you know you can't just fill up generators full of gasoline and crank them up and use that as the way to generate electricity. You need to find a way to generate it that's that's clean. And so uh, the that's where the photovoltaic cells and the wind turbines come into play uh, to, to harness the natural energies as much as possible. But again, when you're talking about a building... That's challenging. Right, right. There's only so much you can do with wind turbines. And and a study in 2009 found that by far wind turbines are more efficient uh, cost-wise than than photovoltaics for doing this kind of thing. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, They they, they compared for for a mixed-use community of about 1,600 people. This was a study done by the Pacific Northwest National Lab. Um, They they compared five different scenarios for this, and they found that that even even in a city like Phoenix that has a relatively low amount of wind and a relatively high amount of sunlight that um that yeah a uh, uh, wind farm would win and and uh-huh. also you know Joe you were pointing out earlier when we were talking before the podcast that uh, that it really depends upon the ratio between the 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 sides of the building that face the sun and the top of the building oh right well I mean both of these things uh, whether it's wind or solar they need some sort of freedom of access right like especially solar needs direct access to the sunlight right wind I'd imagine I actually don't know and this would be interesting to find out but um, do you get more uh, Wind, if there's less other skyscraper around you, or if you're within a city skyline, does that cut down on your access to? It to actually wind? just depends upon the the geography because mm-hmm. you can you can have what becomes a wind tunnel depending upon. There are yeah. certain parts of Atlanta, by the way. This is oh, yeah. incredibly obvious. You might you might walk down one street and you think that's a nice breeze. You walk between the buildings on Peachtree Street near the Fox Theater, and then suddenly <laughs> you, you are hat. holding on for yeah. dear life. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, sometimes I'm driving home and I think I'm. Sucked up in a cyclone. <laughs> My car shakes. Right, and right. then there's the ruby slippers that you wear all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it explains a lot, Joe. Yeah. But but the point being that yes, I mean the idea that that let's, even if you were to coat the entire side of a building with uh, some form of solar panel, you know they've talked about films that could be used uh, to coat different surfaces that could act as a photovoltaic cell. Let's say that we get to that point where we can do that. You still are limited by the fact that that side of the building is only going to be exposed to the sun during part of the day, mm-hmm. right? So part of the day, it's going to have a lot of sunlight hitting it. The top of the building is going to have sunlight hitting it for most of the day. But if if you've built a very tall but relatively skinny building in the, in the sense that when you get to the roof, you only have a small percentage of, you know, like the, the square footage of the roof is only a tiny fraction of what the sides are. That's not an efficient way right. to generate energy. The sure. taller you go, you're increasing the ratio of your energy needs to your ability to harvest solar energy. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and tall buildings like, you know, the, the, the HVAC system that we're talking about, let's, let's, assuming that, of course, the passive, uh, uh, solar approach does not completely eliminate the HVAC, uh, requirements and really in, 
if we're talking about a realistic skyscraper, I can't imagine a scenario where passive solar takes care of all of that. Mm-hmm. Then you could force it to, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you could just, just not like, build an HVAC. Yeah, people are, <laughs> people are just going to have to to shiver and sweat depending upon the time of year, or in Atlanta, depending upon the day, uh, <laughs> since we seem to be going through winter, summer, and spring simultaneously this year. Um, this week, yeah. this week, <laughs> yeah. So uh, in that case, you know, you're talking about the more floors you have, the greater the amount of energy you need to maintain the climate as well. So mm-hmm. uh, again, the bigger you get, the higher your footprint's going, or the deeper your footprint's going to go, I guess we could say, if we're going to use that metaphor. So that that makes it a challenge. Also, does it depend on, I mean, you know, you, you mentioned that this, this Chinese building was an office space. Yeah. Is it going to take a lot more energy cost for a community, for, for a living community? I would imagine that it probably would, because if you're talking about an office space, one of the things you could do to help limit the energy is you essentially say, you know, at X time, this office building is essentially closed, and you can still be here, but... But without the, lights. Right, right. Yeah. You may not have electricity <laughs> or heat <laughs> or, or or air conditioning, but you could still be here. Whereas, of course, if it's residential, then... Oxygen. Yeah. <laughs> now, I don't think it's gotten quite yeah. that bad. Uh, but yeah, if you, you know, for residential, clearly you would need to have access to all of those things Plus, all you know, the time. more people shower, I would say, uh, at home than they do in their offices. So, yeah. well. Yeah. Maybe you probably you you have obviously not seen the shower on this floor, um, or the shower at my home for that matter. It's, it's a talent only shower. It's a <laughs> we, we have no ideas. Right. Only Jonathan gets access. Well, you know, it's there are benefits that go with the job, but yeah. So there are some challenges here. In fact, we we cannot really say for certain if uh, if a high rise like a skyscraper could really be a net zero energy building. If we're talking about in the middle of an urban space, it would be an incredible challenge. Um, maybe we could find more efficient ways to generate electricity through things like wind power or solar power, and that would help. But you're still talking about a huge energy need. Another thing we could do is looking at energy conservation. So cutting down on things like vampire power, uh, mm-hmm. standby power. So right. that essentially that's when, you know, you have your computer turned off, but it's plugged in and it's still pulling some power from the, uh, from the building. If you were able to eliminate that and have, you know, the switches where you, when you turn the switch off, that's it. No more power is going through there. That would help. Right. And, or, uh, uh, or, you know, the, the per capita water use in, in America is something like 660,000 gallons per per family per year. And that's that's an enormous amount. That's almost twice the global average. So Yeah. So, so cutting down on that would help a, a great deal as well. So. I think it definitely would be a huge challenge and possibly even an impossible one right now with today's technology. That uh, that's not to say that we would not someday find a way to achieve this. But uh, and well, and if any at any rate going through this would mean reducing our energy consumption, yeah. which is a good thing. I mean, whether or not we believe the claims about this building in China, we do know that now we can create what are called low energy buildings. Sure. That, uh, you know, that's it's definitely feasible to create a building that, though it might not completely break even, it uses very little for right. grid. You know, even, even 50% less is a pretty terrific amount when you go for a couple of years. So. And there are some buildings out there, and they're usually smaller ones, that, you know, they take some energy from the grid, but then they may generate energy throughout parts of the year and actually sell energy back to the grid. So ultimately, if you look at, you know, if you look at the, the, the receipt at the end of the year, you might say, oh, well, this building 
ultimately breaks even, even though during parts of the year it has to consume energy Mm -hmm. from the grid. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are those options as well. And of course, maybe one day we'll reach a point where this won't be as big a a priority. For instance, maybe if we somehow crack that fusion problem, Mm -hmm. then suddenly we... Mr. Fusions in our kitchen. Yeah, we've got an energy surplus at that point. And if you have an energy surplus, then these considerations are no longer really important. Now, I would stress that a lot of the things that go into this this uh, design process are beneficial in other ways besides the fact that they help cut down on our energy consumption. They also cut down on greenhouse gas emissions, which also then means that we have less of an impact on, on uh, climate change. So there are other reasons to pursue these technologies besides well, just no reason to put all our eggs in one basket. Oh, right. Right. You know, right. <laughs> right. But I'm saying that even if we get to the day where where fusion is right. is completely possible, which, you know, I hope that day comes. Oh, I just I just don't you know, I don't see it happening tomorrow. But if it if it happens maybe 10 years from now or 20 years from now, I still think that the design principles of the the net zero energy buildings are important for us to consider for the other benefits besides energy consumption. Uh, so uh, that's the answer I give to people who who think that you know they say, oh well, don't worry because technology is going to solve our energy problems, so we shouldn't have to worry about this at all. My response is no, we should definitely look into this because it means that we come up with new ideas that help the world, even if it even if the energy consumption angle goes out the window. Well. I love to speculate about technology as much as anybody, but you know it's really easy when you're not the one making it. Yeah, right? sure. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. I'm not working way on the fusion easier. problem personally. Yeah. Um, so, no, no I, I I'm working. <laughs> I'm I'm working. So we, all, on, we want to keep our feet on the ground. Yes, yes, yes. The only reason I say all that is because I know people. I actually know people in my life who have the attitude of that's not worth worrying about. Because someone smarter right, than right. I am is working no, just, on it. Just, just throw that McDonald's wrapper right at that baby deer's head. It's and, fine. It's going to be okay. The, the te- Someone else will take care of technology, it. Technology, a robot will come <laughs> along and pick up both the baby deer and the wrapper, use plasmification to turn them into useful energy, and Bambi and your fast food will power your home for the next three hours. I know people who think like that. And you like can that. eat all the ice cream you want. <laughs> there are people who think like that. And my, my, my perspective is that that is not necessarily a responsible <laughs> philosophy. The idea that, oh, we don't have to worry about it today because tomorrow we'll solve the problem. Right. Well, right. the only way that works is if we actually work on solving the problem. Yeah. That's my point. I know that we talk a lot, in the, especially in this episode, about the challenges that we face. But honestly, if there's one thing I think human beings have proven themselves capable of doing, it's meeting challenges that previous generations thought as being uh, impassable. There was just no way we're going to get around it, get over it, get through it. And yet time and time again, we have found ways to fix problems that people thought were unsolvable. Oh, of course. I mean, like every cool thing we've ever done was deemed impossible. Right. And so and so I really do think that, you know, knowing that what what the challenges are, that's definitely important. But don't give up thinking that those challenges are uh, are, are hard barriers that we'll never get through. Uh, that just means that we need to rise to the occasion is, is ultimately what I think. Um, so, guys. If you are interested in these sort of topics, these futuristic topics, then we highly recommend you get in touch with us. You can follow us on Facebook. 
You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on Google+. Uh, you can go to the blogs, uh, fwthinking.com. That actually has links to all the things I mentioned. You can find the, uh, the various links to the videos, the, the, the podcasts that you're listening to now. If you want to listen to some older podcasts and, and you don't have time to download them, you can listen to them directly on the, the website. Uh, we have lots of information there, and we want you to be part of this conversation. Let us know what, what's exciting to you, and we will make sure that we incorporate that into our future discussions. We really look forward to hearing from you, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Compatibility.